0: So when the staff asked if I would be interested in preaching and I said, well, what is it on? And uh, they said, well, you can either preach if you want to choose something that is on your heart. uh, You can preach that or you can finish up the series that we're doing. And I asked, well, what's the last one in the series? And they said, oh, it has to do with anxious thoughts. And I was like, that is perfect (laughs) because of, like Ben said, um, you can go to the next slide. We recently, my wife and I became parents. This is Opal Catherine. She was born on July 6th and she's absolutely as cute as all of those pictures show. Um, but I am definitely the stereotypical paranoid new parent. And so talking about having anxious thoughts, I thought seemed very appropriate. Um, Yeah, like I said, I'm definitely the stereotypical paranoid new parent. And um, I quickly learned after Opal was born and we were still in the hospital that whoever came up with the phrase, sleeps like a baby, never had children. (laughs) Opal does not sleep like a baby, or at least in the sense of sleeping peacefully and quietly. She snorts, gurgles, trumpets, gasps, moans, groans, whimpers, and grunts, etc., in her sleep. And she made so much noise that the first, the night we're in the hospital, you know, I'm trying to sleep on the armchair that they've got there. And she's making so much noise that I literally was afraid that she was going to asphyxiate before morning. First night that she's alive. And I was afraid she was going to die. Like I kept going over like, are you still breathing? You know, I'm, I'm listening and I still do that. I still do that probably like once a night. Um, She did not die, which is fortunate. And I figured, you know, the the nurses are coming in. They're not saying anything. So everything still has to be good. But I still have these anxious thoughts going through my mind, through my mind, through my mind. And the scripture that we're doing today, I think I even, like, quoted it to myself. Like, all right, Nate, like, trust God. Like, it's going to be okay. So this will be fun to talk about. Um, We can pull up the scripture. Oh. The whole scripture. Um, This our scripture today has come from the book of Philippians, chapter four, verses four through nine. This was written by a man, the apostle Paul, who was currently in prison for his faith. And it was written to a church that was being hunted, most likely by the authorities for their faith. They probably had some members in prison. So bear that in mind as we read this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God Before we start jumping into talking about this, I want to pray for us again, because I think there's a lot in this scripture for us that can challenge us, that um, can convict us. And it's, it's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to be convicting. It's God's word in the spirit of God. And so I want to uh, pray for us one more time as we're going into this and ask the Lord that he would teach us, that he would show us and grow us to be more like Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the honor of getting to teach on this. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are not content to leave us in our current situation, but that you desire for us to be more like Jesus. You desire to challenge us. You desire to mold us into the shape of Jesus. And that you draw us to yourself. Lord, you deserve everything. In our lives. You made us. You died to redeem us. And like the song that, that we sang said, we don't have much to give you, Lord. Except our praise. So Lord, as we're as we're talking about, as we're looking into your word today, please teach us, please use my words and guide me. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working in the hearts of each person here and in my heart. Because Lord, I confess that <laughs> there's so many things in the scripture that though I'm preaching it, I still need to learn it myself. So please be teaching us. Please be convicting us. Please be showing us and gently speaking to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit more on the guy who wrote that scripture, the Apostle Paul, because I think that it really brings a lot of richness to what he says. If you know the story, the Apostle Paul, he, at one point, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He was hunting them down to throw them in prison. uh, And he was going to another city, the city of Damascus, uh, with the purpose of hunting down Christians. And he met Jesus and that changed his life. And he ends up going from hunting Christians, to becoming a Christian himself. And there's a whole story there. But the thing that I think is interesting is that he started his Christian life with a prophecy. It wasn't given to him. It was given to uh, another a man that was involved with his, uh, his conversion by the name of Ananias. But it's given to this man. And listen to what this prophecy says. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So far, so good. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, he's going to have a big role to play. He's going to stand before kings. That's, that's cool. Here's the rest of it. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Oof, a little bit less... A little bit less pleasant. You know, I was chuckling as I was looking at this and thinking about, you know, sometimes Pastor Kevin, like he gives a call to faith at the end of the service. And I was just imagining what if, what if that was part of it? Like, you know, like anybody who wants to put their faith in Jesus, like raise your hand. Great. He's going to show you how much you must suffer for his name. <laughs> um, how's that for a start? But it was, it, it ended up being true. Paul was instrumental in carrying the gospel throughout the Roman world. He wrote half of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the place. And yes, he suffered a lot. I have on the screen here a short list of some of the things that he experienced. He wrote about these in one of his other letters. Five times he was whipped, 40 lashes minus one. So in this day... Uh, in that day, 40 lashes was considered a death sentence. So to get 39 was considered to be being whipped within the within an inch of your life. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, and no, he was not visiting the cannabis shops in the UP. Stone means that <laughs> stone means that he was having like softball, baseball-sized rocks chucked at his head. It was an attempt at an execution. He lived through it, but they thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked, a day and a night adrift at sea, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. And that's not even the complete list of what he names. So he suffered a lot. So with that in mind, we're going to cycle back to what he wrote in Philippians. And bear in mind, we're going to read it again because we want the word of God to be central in what he has to say to us. So we're going to read it again and i invite you to keep in mind what paul has gone through what the people that he is writing to have gone through and keep that in mind as you as you listen to what he wrote rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So this isn't a complete list, but what he's describing is the thought life and the mindset of a follower of Jesus. This is what the thought life of a follower of Jesus should look like. And I don't know about you, but when you really read what he's saying, like, rejoice in the Lord always— it's kind of crazy because he is saying always, at all times. He's saying, he's not saying like, you know, like, try not to be anxious. He's saying don't be anxious about anything. And how about you guys? But that is not what my thoughts look like on your average day. Um, you know, I tend to, to have a habit of complaining instead of rejoicing especially when I'm driving down the, you know, 41 or 28 and I'm behind like a few campers that are going five under the speed limit and all the cars are lined up. You know, I, I tend to complain. Uh, I tend to be anxious. Uh, you guys might find this a little bit amusing. You may have noticed if you see me that I tend to walk around with a, a fairly large backpack and I get teased about it a lot. My wife calls it my man purse or my MRS. Um But I like to be prepared for uh, whatever could happen. Like I carry all sorts of things in it. First aid kit. Um, one of my great joys is to be able to, when somebody says, does somebody have this? And I'm like, I do. And they're like, why do you have that? And I'm like, do you want to use it or not? <laughs> um, but I'm a little bit of a low key prepper. I'm not crazy. I don't have a bunker in the woods, I promise. But I, I like to be ready for whatever is going to happen. And the flip side of that is that I tend to be a little bit anxious. Like we're going to drive 40 minutes down the road and I'm like, what if this happens? What if this happens? Like throwing all these things in the car. And my wife is like, Nate, can we just go? You know, I tend to have anxious thoughts, not to mention having a newborn. Um, I'm not always gentle. I'm not always gracious in my speech in my th- and, and especially in my thoughts where nobody else can see it. So that my, my thought life often does not match what is described here. And I expect it's the same for many of you. Why is that the case? Why do we struggle so much to live out what's written here? And this isn't an, even a complete list of what, we sh- what our thought life should look like. The answer to that is in the title of the series, The War in Our Minds. And this war does have two sides. One side is what we call the flesh, the natural man, the old man. It's the the side of our mind that we're born with. We have it naturally. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We're born with this propensity to look out for ourselves, to not look out for the things of God. Um, This thinking inundates our culture, inundates our world. All you have to do is look around and you'll see this mindset Everywhere. It's easy to do. It's natural. It's what comes naturally to us. Side number two is what we call the new man. This is the way of thinking. This is the mind, if you will, that is given to us when we accept Jesus Christ's forgiveness for our sins and we put our faith in him. The Holy Spirit enters into us, and now we have what is called the new man. The new man is empowered by the Spirit of God, it's supernatural. It seeks the glory of God. It seeks to put God on the throne of our life. It's selfless. And it looks strange to the culture and to the world. It's not normal. So these two sides are at war with each other, within ourselves. And then on top of that, there, there is the enemy out there. There is Satan listening to lives, trying to encourage our flesh, trying to encourage side one. And frankly, side one can be really easy to live into. It's natural to us. We've had it since we were born. Um, Side two is what's evidenced in this scripture. And it's it's impossible for us to do on our own. And if there's one point that I want you all to take away from what I'm speaking on, you cannot win the war in your mind, not alone. You need Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus said to his followers that He is the true vine and we are the branches. If we abide in him, we will bear fruit. Bearing fruit is having, his, having a changed life, having his work manifest itself in our life. It's what was on that scripture, that way of thinking, always being joyful, being gentle, not being anxious about anything. We cannot do that on our own. And it's, it's something you've probably heard before in messages, but it's worth repeating. and I will repeat it a lot because it's so easy to forget. Satan, he wants to destroy the glory of God. He does not want God to be glorified on, our, on earth. When we're living and walking in the spirit, when we are saying no to the flesh, when the word on minds is being won by the Holy Spirit, God has brought glory. When we're rejoicing in every situation, when we are not being anxious, but casting our cares upon Jesus, when we are being gentle, when we are filling our minds with what is good, God is glorified through our lives. And Satan does not want that. So he encourages the flesh. He tries to distract us. He tries to make us forget that we need to rely on Jesus. And so we need to remember that day in and day out. So we're gonna go through uh, what Paul wrote and, extrapol- and expand on it a little bit. And we're actually going to start at the end because this has to do with abiding in Christ and uh, relying on him. It says, uh, what says whatever is true. Oh, it doesn't match what's back there. <laughs> Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is talking about what we park our minds on, what we fill our minds with, what sort of media we take in. And I'll be honest, and I'm speaking for myself, and I suspect it's the same for a lot of us. I often do not think about things that match this, whether that's intentional, you know and just like oh well this seems really interesting i've done that before or whether it's just unintentional i'm just you know i lose track i my eyes i lose track of looking at jesus and when i talk about looking at jesus i don't mean like just having a quiet time and praying i'm talking about remembering him and his power and relying on our life even when i'm doing something as simple as washing the dishes but i often do not have what is true, noble, right, lovely, etc., filling my mind, and this is actually something that God has been teaching me a lot recently. And I want to I want to stop and give a little caveat. We're not going to talk about this legalistically. So when I'm talking about what the Lord has been teaching me in this, the line falls from me. In a certain place. Like, this is what's not going to help me think about Jesus. For me to think about this, it's not right, lovely, etc. For other people, it might be, the, the line might fall in a slightly different place. And it might be a little bit different for you. However, that's not an excuse to not take this scripture seriously. It is vital that we take these guidelines, that we take this scripture seriously and we filter our thoughts and our meditations through this scripture because what is filling your mind is going to be dictating how close you are drawing to Jesus at the time. And if you're not drawing close and if you're not thinking about and if you're not staying near to Jesus, you're not going to be able to live out this high calling of always rejoicing, of not being anxious about anything. So, You don't have to take exactly what I say and it doesn't have to be the exact same for you, but you still have to take the scripture seriously. So for me, the Lord has been working on me on this. And a few weeks ago, I realized from him that I need to essentially tune out the news and current events. Yeah, I grew up near Washington, (laughs) D.C., Politics is somewhat in my blood. I'm fascinated by it. I love stories. I love world history. I, if anybody out there is a history geek, I would love the history. People are my favorite people to talk to. Um, and so current events is kind of like living history. And so I could spend one hour, hour and a half, two hours a day, just scrolling through the news, looking at all these different stories, listening to commentary. And for me, it, caused, it, it tended to cause me to be anxious about the state of the world. It caused me to not rejoice. It took, caused me to take my eyes off Jesus because even though while I was reading it, I was trying to say, all right, Nate, like this looks really bad, but, but trust God, I wasn't filling my mind with what's going on with God. I was filling my mind with all the hard stuff that's going on in the world. And, you know, I would kind of toyed with the idea before, like, oh, I'm going to not look at the news for the next week. And like, every time I did that, my spiritual life just, you know, it was so much easier to stay close to God. But then for some reason, I was telling somebody after the last service, like, for some reason, like, we figure out what makes us happy and then we don't do that. Like, am I the only one on that? Like, hey, this works. I'm really healthy right now. And then I'm not going to do that. Um, but God kept saying like, you need to give this up indefinitely. I know it's, it's kind of fun. It kind of scratches an itch for you, but filling your mind and thinking about all the stuff that's going on in the world right now is distracting you from me. And I want you to give it up. And I fought it for probably a half year. And just a few weeks ago, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this scripture, thinking about, uh, meditating on it. Finally got it memorized. It took me forever because it's a big list and I always mixed it up. And I said, all right, God, you're right. I need to give this up because it distracts me from you and it keeps me from living for you as fully as I possibly can. So I'm not saying that it needs to be that way for you. The line might fall somewhere else, but I challenge you to look at this scripture and to come before Jesus and ask him, is the music I listen to, are the movies that I watch, are the things that I think about, are the books that I read, are the conversations I have with my friends, are they filling my thoughts with what is good and right and beautiful, things of you, or are they distracting me from that? We cannot win the war in our minds on our own. It has to be won for us by Jesus, and we have to stay close to him in order for that to happen. So we are going to go rapid fire through the other things that he talks about. Rejoicing always, always being gentle, and not being anxious, but casting everything upon Jesus. So rejoicing always. This is the mindset of a Christian. There is a story that I read by a guy named Richard Wurmbrand, who was a pastor in the Soviet Union. He was in prison for 14 or 15 years. He was tortured. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, where he tells his story and the story of the persecuted church in the Soviet Union. And one of the stories that he shared was about a girl who uh, she was sharing the gospel and especially like sharing Jesus with children in the Soviet Union. And that is a big no-no, atheistic state. They did not want anything to do with Christianity or Jesus. And so the secret police find out and they're going to arrest her, but they find out that she is to be married in two weeks. So instead of arresting her right away, they wanted to be as horrible as they possibly could. They waited two weeks and she's at the altar in her wedding gown, happiest day in a girl's life probably. Her husband's up, her groom is up there with her and the Secret police bust through the church doors. They come running up. She sees them. She holds out her hands for the manacles. They put them on her. She turns to her groom. She kisses the manacles and says, I thank my heavenly bridegroom that he has given me this wonderful jewel, referring to the manacles, to wear on my wedding day. They hauled her off. She was in prison for five years. She was raped. She was tortured. She was released looking for 30 years older. She came back to her husband who had been waiting faithfully for her. And this is, this is all a true story. She said to him, and I, I wish I could remember the exact quotation. I forgot to bring the book with me. It was all worth it for Jesus. That is what it looks like to rejoice in every in all situations. Now I'm going to say... I don't think I could do that. (laughs) Like, that is insane. I remember my wedding day, obviously. It was one of the happiest days of my life. And I could not imagine watching my bride be hauled off to prison and I know what's going to happen to her. And yet she said she thanked Jesus for the opportunity to show her love for him by suffering for him. It seems impossible and it is. We can't rejoice in the Lord always on our own. We cannot win the war in our minds on our own. It has to be won for us by staying close to Jesus. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's the next command. I had to look up the word gentleness because uh, I wasn't super familiar with what he meant by that. And it turns out that the word used for gentleness in the original language can mean graciousness. It means to be fair-minded. It means to be reasonable or charitable. This one really got me. It involves a willingness to lay down our personal rights. Jesus also teaches on this in Luke chapter six, starting at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do for you, do so to them. One of my favorite examples of this uh, is from the movie Les Mis. Who here has seen Les Miserables? few people. Okay. There's this scene at the beginning of the movie um, where the main character, Jean Valjean, he was just released from prison. I think it was like 15 or 20 years. He worked as a slave and he was marked as a criminal. He was marked as a dangerous man. So nobody would take him in. Nobody would give him food, a job, shelter, or anything. And this bishop finds him and he welcomes him into his church, which also was where he lived. He gives him food, he gives him a bed for the night. He warms him by the fire. When he's thanking God for the food, he refers to Jean Valjean as his honored guest. And how does Jean Valjean repay him? He, in the middle of the night, he steals all the silver in the place and takes off. He gets caught by the police who bring him back to the bishop and say, we found him. He stole your bishop. Uh, bishop. He, I play a lot of chess too, so I'm used to saying bishop. He stole your silver and you know he even had the audacity to say that you gave it to him what is the normal reaction to that what is the natural reaction what kind of reaction are we born with thank you so much for catching him like i can, i cannot believe after i all i did for you that this is how you repay me that is not how the bishop reacts because his thinking has been changed by Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's no longer living under the control of the flesh and the natural man. He is living under the control of the Spirit, and so he responds with gentleness. He lays down his personal rights and he tells the police he speaks truth. I did give him the silver. As a matter of fact, you friend, you left so quickly, you forgot the most important part. And he takes the silver candlesticks that Jean, that the main character had missed, and he. And he gives them to him. And after the police leave, he tells them, I bought your soul for God. Use this silver to become a different man. And it completely changes his life. I recommend the movie. You should go watch it. Um, This is what it means to have, to think like Christ, to have gentle thoughts. Seems impossible, though. And this is... Once again, the main point, say it over and over and over again. You cannot do this on your own. I cannot think that way on my own. We have to stay close to Jesus. He tells them to not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, to present their requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not being anxious for anything, Sound, you know, somebody telling us to do that. Anxiety is everywhere, right? Like, it's talked about all the time. You can find all sorts of things of how to deal with it. It's studied by people. If it was possible to not be anxious about anything, if we had cured it by human means, we wouldn't be hearing about it anymore. And yet he tells them not to be anxious for anything. You might as well tell them to build a rocket and go to the moon on their own. I know we've done that, but, but I couldn't do it. Do we believe that God is real? Do we believe the stories in the scriptures? Do we believe that God rescued Daniel from the lion's den? Do we believe that David was able to defeat Goliath? Do we believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow before your golden statue? Throw us in the furnace, if you will. We will not bow. When our minds are not set on Christ, it's super easy. It's super easy for us to say that we believe in God, but to live like materialists. Material uh, Being a materialist means that you don't believe that there is anything beyond physical matter. It means that, uh, yeah, that, that all there is is this material world. There is no spiritual world. There is no God. And you're on your own. When we don't have our eyes fixed on Jesus, it is so easy to have that mindset. The key to dealing with anxious thoughts, the key to being gentle, the key to rejoicing always, no matter what happens to you, is to stay close to Christ, to abide in Him, to spend time with Him, to seek Him even when you're th- when, even when you have to be doing something else, to fill your mind with what is good and what points us to him. So I'm gonna close this with prayer. And as I do, I invite and I challenge you. There were really four main things talked about. Rejoicing always, uh, being gentle, not being anxious, and filling your mind with what is good and true at least one of those should be convicting to you. For me, uh, all of them are. (laughs) Um, But as I pray to close this, I challenge and I invite you to ask the Lord, where do I need to have my thoughts transformed so I'm more like Christ? Ask the Lord for his help. Admit to him that you cannot do it on your own. Invite him to give you the strength that you need to not be anxious, to rejoice, to be gentle, to fill your mind with the things of Christ. Father, we come to you and we bow before you. What is man that you are mindful of him? Lord, you made us out of the dust of the ground. We are, we are nothing, and yet you have given us value. You have sent your son and said, I love you, and I am willing to give up my son so that you can be released from your flesh, you can be released from your wickedness, and you can have relationship with me. You can find the power to think the thoughts of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for anybody here who has never come to Jesus, has never given their life to Jesus, who has never sought Jesus' forgiveness and put their trust in him. And I pray that they would meet him, that they would understand the love that you have for them, that you want so much for them, pray for the one here who is maybe grown up in church has known Jesus for a long time I ask that you would relight the flame of love for Jesus that you would renew our loves Lord I pray that you would speak to each person here that you would show them clearly how they can draw closer to you and in what ways you want to transform their thoughts, how you want to win the war in their minds. Thank you, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen.